If your goal is you're just trying to meet more and more people, that's not going to be as effective as understanding there's a lot of potential value in things in your existing network that you're ignoring. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. This episode was previously recorded and published on the Outperform podcast. Today's quote is from Robert Kiyosaki, and that is, the richest people in the world look for and build networks. Everyone else looks for work. It's a great intro for our guest today, David Burkus, who knows a lot about building networks. He is the author of several books, including Friend of a Friend, Understanding the Hidden Networks That Can Transform Your Life and Your Career. In addition to being a best-selling author, David's also an award-winning podcaster, a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, an associate professor of management at Oral Roberts University, where he teaches courses on creativity, innovation, leadership, and organizational behavior. So welcome, David. It's great to have you on Outperform. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm a little embarrassed. I did not familiar with that quote, but I love it. It's a good one. I, I know his work really well. But, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I know a lot of Kiyosaki stuff, but I was like, that's new, huh? Oh, man, I wish I would have known that like two years ago when I was starting the proposal for the book. Oh, well. Yeah, I use a lot of quotes in, in my book. So that's a great place to start. You know, there have been a lot of books on networking over the years, including some timeless classics such as How to Make Friends and Influence People, or How to Win Friends and Influence People, I think it is. And Keith Ferrazzi's Never Eat Lunch Alone, which is a book I read years ago and really formative for me. Your new book, Friend of a Friend, offers readers a really interesting and different perspective on how to grow their networks and build key connections. So before we dive in, I'd love to hear more about what got you into this topic and, and particularly into this angle of the topic. Yeah, different's a good word. Hopefully, it's not just different, but better. But different is a, is a good word. I mean, I I love, I still have a copy. My, my wife, actually, who's an ER doctor that very rarely re even reads nonfiction, tells people to read How to Win Friends and Influence People, right? And lots of other of these books, but they all are sort of, I describe them as their networking advice books. And when I was writing my, my two prior books, both times I ended up borrowing some work and some research that was fascinating from professors who studied network science, people like Brian Uzi and Jared Spiro and Duncan Watson, names you'll know by the end of the, the book and by the end of the podcast, but people doing really fascinating stuff, studying the connections that people make in between you know, other people. And as I'm reading all of that, I'm going, okay, well, you know, some of this is right in line with the advice books. Some of it contradicts it, but like, why isn't, why aren't we talking more about this instead of just one or two people's advice on how to work a room or how to give the perfect elevator pitch or that sort of thing. And, you know, the, the advice books are great, but unless you're similar to that person, then the advice is going to be a little bit hard to apply. So the big idea was kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm reading these studies. I'm understanding how networks actually work. Maybe there needs to be a book on networking that is not advice. It is here's how the network around you already operates. And then you can go figure out how to put it into practice and develop your own advice, right? Because now you know how networks work and you can know how to navigate it. So that became the big idea for Friend of a Friend. So it was more of really being clear, here are the rules of the game, not understanding the, how the game is played or how it plays out. Here are the rules. And now with that, you can think about how to do this in a more, more intelligent way. 
Exactly right. And, and some of it is, is sort of a reframe. Like one of the things I, I love to say about it is we're probably using the wrong language. So much of us will say, oh, here's how to grow your network. You can't grow your network. You don't have a network. You exist inside of one. And so the only logical thing is to figure out how to navigate that network, figure out the rules of how it works. And then you can start playing really well. What are the traditional assumptions of networking that your research proved either incorrect or misunderstood or uh, any, any of the above? Yeah. I mean, so one of the biggest, I would say misconceptions, and it's not, it's one of those ones that no one would, no one would outright say, but we all realize a lot of advice is shapes on this. Like there's, first of all, there's no scoreboard to run up. Like when we describe people who have great networks or are great networkers, we're usually describing it in terms of size. And, and you see this now in sort of an online capacity, right? I mean, I, there, not a week goes by that I don't get a LinkedIn request from someone who's bragging about how many connections they have on LinkedIn. And I love their posture of openness, but like the goal is not to run up the scoreboard, right? It's not to get a fatter Rolodex. I mean, whatever the virtual equivalent of a Rolodex is anymore. And you'll hear some people say bigger is not better, but I still think we're, we're kind of doing that. And we're, we're acting like the goal is to meet lots and lots of new people to add them in. We want to create value, which is true. But again, if your goal is you're just trying to meet more and more people, that's not going to be as effective as understanding there's a lot of potential value in things in your existing network that you're ignoring. And we talk about it a bit in the book and sort of weak and dormant ties, but also those people that are one introduction away. I actually, for the introverts that might be listening to this, what I love about this is when you flip from okay, it's just about meeting as many people and running the score to it's about understanding who I'm already connected to, who I might be neglecting, who's hidden from me because they're one introduction away. That's a whole lot more doable for every average person to just treat people like they're your friends and they're ready to introduce you to new friends and navigate that network is a whole lot more comfortable than figuring out how is the perfect way to introduce someone and exchange business cards and all that stuff that most of us don't want to do anyway. Yeah, and, and before we go into, I'll go into some specific questions about some stuff in the book, but why is it important for people to understand how to build a network in 2018? I, I mean, is it, is, it, is it even an option for people not to build one anymore? Well, I think it's important for people to understand the network they're already swimming in, right? They, whatever industry right. you're trying to make an impact in, whatever company you already work for, there is, whether it's a formal network or an informal one, there is already a community of people that are connected to each other. Some people gravitate towards the center and kind of are keeping the gravitational pull. Other people are out on the fringes and, and some are even, they look at it as their job as connecting one community to another. It You need to know what's going on in that capacity. Sociologists have a term they use, they call it social capital, the value of the network or the potential value in that network that can be added to or extracted. You, you need to pay attention to those sort of things because, I mean, it, it's weird in a, in a digital age, maybe this should have gotten less important, but it actually got more. Who you know really does matter. Your network really is your net worth. We're even using economic terms like social capital to describe that phenomenon now. Yeah, my friend said, I don't know where he got it from, but you know, he'll probably take credit. But he said to me years ago, it was a great formula. He said he, he thought success was what you know raised to the who you know. And you know, I really haven't heard that again, but it's an interesting formula. Have you come across that? I haven't. I, I, I kind of admonish people with a little bit different take on it, and I'm going to take credit for it which is that it's not necessarily who you know, it's who knows what you know, right? What you know still matters, but it's useless unless other people know that you know it. Right. If you have a brilliant theory that you sit in your closet with it by itself, it's just not going to get a lot of practical application. 
Exactly right. Like Emily Dickinson is probably the one exception to the rule of people that can be out, like who sit on the fringes their entire life and then somehow make an impact. Most of us realize, okay, in, in order to kind of do this, I'm going to need to figure out, A, who, who can I share this work with, but also who can I partner with and then who can kind of amplify that message. All of these things are important. And the network is already built. You're not starting from scratch just trying to meet as many people as possible. You're just trying to understand the social capital and the network that you already have. So with that in mind, uh, it's a great segue. What what are some of the unexpected secrets that people can and should leverage to grow their networks or or take advantage, as you said, of the networks that are already there? So I think there's probably two that surprise me the most when you're looking at the network that you're already operating. The, the first is this phenomenon. It's a fancy word. Actually, both are fancy words. But the first fancy word is multiplexity, which is a term they use in network science to describe the different contexts for connection that people have. See, most of us will put kind of work contacts in one bucket and then personal friends in another bucket and then like community friends, like where we see each other at our kids' softball practice in, a, in another bucket. And we tend to kind of segment that out. But when network scientists are studying a community, they don't. They actually make a record of how many different contexts for connection are there. They use two terms. A uniplex tie would be like, we only see each other at work or we only see each other at the gym. We only know each other that well. A multiplex tie is, you know, we work together, we go to the gym together, our kids are in the same public school together, we have all of these different reasons to connect and context for connections. And you find out you build a deeper relationship faster with someone when you do that. But you also find out that like work bleeds over into personal life, personal life bleeds over into business life. There's a much better approach to understanding the the value in the network around you if you realize that all of these things can bleed over. So don't be putting them in buckets. I like to say they're not work friends and real friends. Everybody is a friend or a potential friend, right? So treat them that way and you can create a lot more value and also extract that more value. The other kind of fancy word is a word called homophily. I know it's a, a we're, we're going like deep in fancy nerd words here, but yeah, you could be making up words. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. Well, what's interesting about homophily. So this is, a, this comes from the Greek meaning love of same. This is the birds of a feather flock together thing. Yeah. What we find is that it's not mostly an ingrown tendency to only be around like. Most of us know we need diversity in our network. We know we need opinions from lots of different angles. We know we need information from a lot of different sources. And yet the network has a tendency to organically serve us people that are self-similar. So if you're not being proactive and intentional about seeking out different sources of information in different contexts, the networks just kind of naturally serve you people that are already like you. And you can end up being in an echo chamber without even realizing it. So not only does that underscore the idea that you really need to be paying attention to this network that's around you, there's also some sort of intentional things you need to be doing. Because if you just allow these things to happen kind of naturally, you'll naturally put people into different buckets when everybody should be bleeding over. And you'll naturally be connecting with people that are self-similar, who are not the people you need to really grow and make better decisions, take your business to the next level, advance your career, whatever it is. A great example of, I think, the former there is if you think about trying to find a job. Unfortunately, that's when people start networking. And I always get these requests. And it's like, you know, I'm sure there's advice you have on this. And and, and this goes a little to some of Keith Riley's stuff. But, you know, you don't reach out to people when you need something about all the ways that they can help you. But when people are looking for a job, and that's a business context, I bet they find as much success in their personal Rolodex with people making recommendations that they probably do in their business Rolodex or network. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, it's funny because like business history is full of these examples, right? So one of my favorites is, is Ben and Jerry, Ben and Jerry were high school friends that they became friends because they were both the, 
well, to be blunt, they were both the fattest and slowest kids in gym class. And so they were walking the track when everyone else was running it and they got friendly. It, it took years, but eventually that friendship turned into a business partnership. Or one of my favorite examples is, you know, a mutual friend of ours, a, a helio thinker friend of ours, Whitney Johnson, who got one of her most pivotal jobs managing a private equity firm that was started by Clay Christensen, not because Clay was familiar with all of her work in Wall Street and an investment analyst and all that sort of stuff, but because they went to church together and served on a committee and Clay saw like, wow, you run this committee of volunteers. You're a really good leader. I want you running my company. And so he was the one that thought to flip over. So it happens all the time and it can have some really, really powerful impacts if you're open to it. But a lot of us aren't. A lot of us put people into different buckets and we don't want that kind of integration. I don't know if this is because we want work-life balance or whatever it is, but the world just doesn't work that way. So you talk about the theory of these buckets, but what, what are some actual ways that people need to do to break down these buckets that they may not even know exist? Is this in terms of like how they think or how they organize their network or how they track it? Like what, how, how do you put that into practice? So, I mean, how you organize and track it will flow from how you think. But the biggest thing is just how you get to know people. You think about you're making a new connection or someone's introducing you to someone. If you're in a work context, what's the most likely question that you ask? Something business, right? Right. You'll you ask like, so what do you do? Right. Or, or what have you? Which is an invitation to keep the conversation sort of business oriented. And we may after, let's say we spent 20 minutes talking together, we may spend about two bleeding over into like, oh, are you married? Do you have kids? Do you have whatever? But we don't sort of spend a lot of that time. So I, I coach a lot of people, if you're meeting in a work context, the conversation will drift back to work. So maybe start with something non-work, asking, you know, where did you grow up? Or I, I actually really like to ask people when I meet them, what excites you right now? Which is a great open-ended question. You can tell me about a work project if that's the most exciting thing in your life. Right. You can tell me that your kids just got back from camp if that's the most exciting thing in your life, right? Or are just going to camp. That would be the exciting thing. Get back <laughs> would be a drag. Um, so you can kind of ask these more broad questions. And I think you flip the same way with personal life. Most of us know shockingly little about the day-to-day -day work that our friends do. And then only if that person is sort of met with unexpected unemployment or something like that, do we start to learn a bit because we, now we want to help them. What well, would go better if we start asking our real friends, our personal friends, a little more work-related questions, not prying, but we want to know, we want to pay attention to it. Humans are multifaceted creatures. And so we need to be multifascinated with many different angles of them. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers 
with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com elevate. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think in your business example, the quicker you get to sort of personal commonality, the, the deeper that relationship goes, right? If you're talking to someone, you find out, oh, they love to ski at Alta and they have three kids the same age. Like it, it, it actually, it brings a lot more connection. You're still two, even though you're in a business context, you're still two people that are connecting. So I would, I would think that the more you found out you had in common outside of work, maybe the more that, Matt, brought you together a little bit. Yeah. So not only in the spur of the moment, by what a lot of researchers will call uncommon commonalities, you both find out that you go to the same beach community for vacation, right. you both ski in the same place, et cetera. You, you build a deeper connection quicker in the moment, but you also have more reasons to follow up with that connection. So you build a stronger, longer lasting connection too, because if you only know their work type of stuff, then like you're going to send them that generic congrats on your work anniversary thing that LinkedIn encourages <laughs> you to send them oh. instead of knowing like, hey, you know what? Ski season's beginning. Have you got gotten your, your lift tickets yet or something like that, which is a much more welcome or attempt to reconnect with someone. I have to tell you a story on that. So I was, <laughs> this weekend I was editing an old nonprofit job description that had a lot of jobs to take advantage of LinkedIn's new thing where it combines, you know, multiple positions into one. And I just hadn't cleaned it up in a while. So I was cleaning it up and I picked, do not send the updates, but somehow in doing this, it, it changed something on my title. And this is a nonprofit I've been involved with for years. And it, and it put out some notification that I have some new role. Although if you went to it, nothing different. I got like 95 messages on LinkedIn congratulating me on the new role. Like people didn't even look. <laughs> They're yeah. just like, I actually, I actually was going to disconnect from all of those people because I looked back and all, some of them had only over the years for oral updates sent me like something like their chatbot did. I was like, I should just de-link all of these people who are, are congratulating me on my new job that I don't actually have. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, I'm swimming in the exact same thing right now because it's it's fall, which means, you know, I work on a university schedule. I've got an appointment, which means every fall I get congrats on your work anniversary. Yeah. And then what, what's amazing to me is for the last couple of years, you know, you don't even type that. You click a button and it sends it to me. But then I can click a button that says thank you or, you know, thanks so much or appreciate it or whatever. So you have like literally it's not even two people talk like the ideas that you're supposed to be what Keith Rossi would call pinging, right? You're reaching back to some dormant connection. But in reality, it's like it's my chatbot and your chatbot talking. None of us are actually communicating, right? And so you, you get these new ones and then you look in the history of our conversation. It's literally we have that exact same conversation once a year and then <laughs> nothing else. It's time to go. Someone told me once that that this woman told me that she and her husband have chatbot that checks in on each other all I, I, it's actually ridiculous it's a, how are you doing and then his response to hers and i'm like i i don't i don't totally understand that you know we we, we actually we're in a client service business and one of our things that we try to train on is is just even when people get on a call it's a person right so you're in a business but if you just jump right into 
business, you know, you're setting that tone. If you ask an open-ended question to a client, you know, well, how was your weekend? Well, you know, you might go, oh, well, my, you know, sister got engaged. I'm the maid of honor. Well, oh, congrats. And I'm getting married this year. Conversely, oh, my cat died this weekend or something like that, where you find that they were kind of in a bad mood and you thought it was something you did. So I, asking these open-ended questions and, and not jumping right into business is just helpful, I think, in terms of managing these relationships in general. Oh, no, totally. That's why, I mean, I say it often, humans are multifaceted. So you've got to be multifaceted. Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit about the majority illusion and what it is, is I think it gets to one of the core principles that we're talking about here as well. Yeah. So this is a really interesting, especially from a marketing angle, this will be, you know, the, the types of clients that you're bringing on this, I think is something to be really interesting to them. So this is a, it's one of those things that sometimes marketers sort of knew, but then we actually have the, the science behind why this works. So in short, the majority illusion is the ability to navigate a network such that you or a product or a book or an album looks really, really popular when in reality, not even the majority of people are talking about it. And the way that this works is that everyone in a network, in a community has a different number of connections and it doesn't follow an average, like a normal distribution of an inverted U. It follows a power law on 80-20, right? There are some people that have 10x the number of connections and people following them, et cetera, that most people do. And if you can begin to build relationships with those people and, and kind of target those people, if, if those few people are the ones who are talking about a product, a service, a person, whatever it is, you can uh, look dramatically more popular or that you have penetrated a market much more than if you actually have. In, in the book, we talk about actually the first person that I ever knew that sort of did this and admitted it, which was the, the writer and podcaster, Tim Ferriss, who when he launched his first book, I mean, Tim sold vitamins via sort of paid traffic to a random vitamin website. And then, you know, he actually wrote a book bragging about how he was so not involved in the business. When you're trying to not be involved in the business, you don't build a brand around that. So then he realizes, okay, I need to build a personal brand. So he spends two or three years building relationships with all of the people that influence 18 to 35 year old tech savvy males. It's the only group that he cares about. And so he's going to tech conferences. He's making relationships with tech bloggers and journalists and what have you. And when it comes time for the book to come out, those sources are talking about him. Now, I fell in that demographic, so I heard about him almost immediately. But some people are like, who, who was this person until suddenly he has a television show and a New York Times bestseller and he gets bigger, but he only got there because he started with this one little demographic, this one little vertical, and he mapped the network of who are the people that are influential that everybody's following. Those are who I need to build relationships with. And I think another key is that he did it over two years. He's not just spamming those people, right? Yeah. But he's paying attention to who those influencers are and knowing, okay, if I can navigate this network properly, I can get to critical mass much faster than it would take one-to-one -one marketing. And how is, I mean, technology, you hear a lot about influencer marketing these days. So I assume technology is helping to do this, right? helping to map and point out who are the voices that matter for certain things and how some matter more more than others. Have you looked much into the cloud score and how accurate technology is at doing this? You know, so what's interesting is technology makes it easier and also worse. I was literally just chatting with, with someone today about the problem that we're not talking a lot about right now, which is the problem of Instagram, that it is actually really easy to build a huge following on Instagram by posting sort of motivational pictures and encouraging other people to tag. And then you can't get those people to take any action. And a lot of people have these sort of inflated, I mean, we've known about fake Twitter followers and that kind of stuff for years. So it can become possible to kind of 
hide it. And that's what, what I like about where Tim went. I mean, he's targeting tech savvy males, but he's building real relationships with these people. So what, what I often like to say is that technology is a supplement to not a replacement for your existing face-to-face in real life network. So I mean, you can try and build all sorts of influencer partnerships, but you've got to take the time to really get to know those people if you are going to, A, get a read on whether or not their following is authentic, but B, get to the point where they're invested enough to want to help you as well because you've helped them in the past. Yeah. And and, and so I assume you subscribe to the last thing you said in terms of when you're approaching people, what can you do for them? How can you add before you take? Yeah. And I mean, I think it, it, it's a, I, we tend to sort of, what's weird about that advice is we tend to then get into that kind of what Adam Grant would call a matcher, right? Where we're, okay, well, I did yeah. this, I did that, whatever. And I think that's a bad approach. I think this is again, where I go back to the idea of the network as a whole and building social capital. I've at least found anecdotally, I don't have a lot of data for this, except my own experiences, but I found if you pay attention to the network as a whole, so it's not that I have to make sure that I am creating uh, value for Bob first before I ask for a favor for me, but I do have to know that, the, okay, the network as a whole, the community as a whole sees me as somebody that's investing in the community, that's being a giver, that's always being generous with uh, connections and introductions and those sort of things before I ask for it. It may not be that exact person you've done a favor for, but if that person's watching you provide value to other people, then there's still that ability to subtract. So it's the whole overall social capital, not that kind of individual nature. And that's one thing that technology has helped because it's made our efforts at building social capital far more visible. So just being known as a giver, but that that is viewed by other people rather than your kind of scorekeeping with each individual person in your network. Exactly right. And, and, you know, that's not new advice. I didn't invent that. The only thing I am adding to it is the idea that when you think about it as a whole network, it's much more important to know what your account balance in social capital and the whole network is, not only because that's kind of more effective, but also because when you just take the provide value approach, you can kind of end up getting frustrated with someone because you feel like you provided value and it didn't or whatever. It just gets weird. So take care of the network and trust that the network will take care of you. So in that, you really look at it almost as this living organism in the, in that sort of view, right? It, it, I mean, it kind of is. And there's a lot of, when you dive into, it gets a little weird. And so I don't often go down this path, but when you dive into some of the writings of uh, network scientists, people like Duncan Watts and uh, Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler, et cetera, they kind of describe it as this overall sort of organism, the way that you would study uh, an anthill or something like that. Humans are kind of, we operate in predictable patterns. We circle around each other and networks even operate in predictable patterns, which is fascinating. It's kind of a downer for those of us that believe in free will, but it is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll be right back after a quick commercial from our sponsor with uh, David Burkus. Hi, I'm Adam Grant. As a Wharton psychologist, I've spent most of my career studying two big questions. How do we unlock original thinking and build cultures of productive generosity? With those questions in mind, I recently co-founded a pretty extraordinary community dedicated to discovering groundbreaking ideas while trying to make the world a better place. It's called the Next Big Idea Club. Together, my friends Malcolm Gladwell, Susan Cain, Dan Pink, and I search far and wide for the eight most original, most essential nonfiction books of the year, and we send them straight to you. We also interview the authors, and we send you the key insights across video, audio, and text formats. And remember, this is a book club, so when you join the exclusive online forum, you get the chance to discuss every season's selections, not just with other members, but also with me, Malcolm, Susan, and Dan. Get insider insights from Dan Pink, Malcolm Gladwell, Susan Kane, and Adam Grant, and sign up for the Next Big Idea Club today at www.nextbigideaclub.com slash 10off, and get 10% off your subscription. All right, welcome back. 
So David, we were talking about networks and the degrees before personal, professional. You know, another thing that you talked about in the book that I'd love to hear more on is sort of weaker or former contacts and how they're often overlooked, but can really be the most helpful to someone in their networking. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is kind of, you know, in the, in the subtitle, we use this term, the hidden networks that can transform your life and career. And what we mean by hidden, they're kind of just the neglected, right? If the mental model is that the goal is to run up the score and meet lots of new people, then you're neglecting people that you already know, but don't know that well, or that you know, but haven't talked to in a while. And in network science, there's two different terms for these. The first is weak ties. These are the people you know, but you don't know that well. Maybe you work together, but you like you only see each other when there's cake in the break room, you know, something like that. Or hummus, if you're the healthy type of person, not, for me, it's cake. Um, or, and then there are your dormant ties. These are the people that you knew and almost knew closely, right? You went to college together or you worked together in the same company, but then one of you moved on, changed jobs, changed cities, just sort of fell out of touch. And what we find is that those people, if you think, again, think about it as, as a whole network, not just your network, but one big kind of three-dimensional, I like to say we all live in one network, 7.4 billion people strong and counting. And then we all sort of occupy these nooks and crannies of it based on industry. And if you think about it that way, those weak and dormant ties are usually somewhere else in the network. Your people that you see every day, they see those same people every day. They are getting information from the same sources every day. They're very self-similar to you. And so if you need diverse sources of information, if you need job opportunity connections, if you need to just know uh, what's going on in a part of the world that you're not all that familiar with, those are going to come from your weaker or dormant ties. And you kind of alluded to this earlier when you were talking about, okay, somebody goes on the job hunt and now all of a sudden they're reaching back out to their weekend. Like we know to do that when we're desperate for a job. What we don't know is that it's kind of too late because now, I mean, there's no social capital left in that account, right? We haven't talked to them. And now we know you can almost like smell the desperation on these people and you want to help, but you're kind of like, I don't know anything about you. I don't know what other than your resume. So what I coach a lot of people to do is that these weak and dormant ties are people that you want to be in a regular pattern of reaching back out to. Now, that pattern can be once a year, preferably not on one of their work anniversaries through LinkedIn, um, or it can be sooner than that. And it can actually, this can actually be an area where social media and technology becomes really valuable. The question is, what do you do with it, right? If people are broadcasting information about themselves and their career on LinkedIn or their personal life on Facebook or Twitter or what have you, it's a really good opportunity to take note of something they said, like, hey, I noticed that you're going on a, on a vacation for the weekend to Chicago. I just thought you'd want to know that, like, skip everything but Lou Malnati's because the rest of the pizza places are terrible. You, I mean, you can say that through a more personal medium than just leaving a comment on their their Facebook status, send them an email, send them a text message, a phone call, whatever works for you. And then you've checked back in with that person. It can be as brief as that 30 seconds. And now if you're making a point to kind of be intentional with those relationships and do it every three, six, nine, 12 months, now when there actually is a reason for them to reach out to you because they need help or for you to reach out to them because you need help or information, now it's just one more in a series of conversations. These weak and dormant ties are your most powerful sources of information, but you have to make sure that the line is open to receive that information. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So I'm curious. I don't, I don't know how much you want to get into the tactical, but in terms of like this, what, what do you suggest that people use to track or map this? Should they keep a spreadsheet? Should they use something like contactually? Like if, if, how do they actually apply some of these things when they think about their network and try to actually look at who have I not talked to in a while? Who have I talked to? Yeah. So, I mean, depending on the size of your network, how, how I don't even want to say your network, but depending on the size of the connections that you have and what have you, there's different tools that can help with big numbers. Contactually is one. There's another uh, newer one called Levitate that is kind of cool too. They're both great. I've played around with both. A spreadsheet is fine too. For most of us though, honestly, like one of the things I find most interesting is you can get on a tool like Facebook or LinkedIn and you can actually sort your connections by most frequently contacted, which means that the people at the bottom of that list will be the ones you haven't talked to in forever. What I've found really interesting is I, you know, I've been trying to practice what I preach since I was doing all this research and writing it. And so I've been a contactually user for probably 18 months, two years now. And every day at, at 8 a.m., I get an email that says I have no action items. Yeah. Now, why is that? It's because I've gotten in the habit of when I see something that someone else is broadcasting about their life that warrants a, a like or a comment, I take the 30 seconds to give that, but in a more personal medium that generates a conversation. So an email, a text, a phone call, what have you. Or, and this is what I think, this happens to all of us at least once a week. You're just walking down the street or you're you're just sitting kind of spacing out and somebody pops into your head, some memory from college, right? Or some of a past job or whatever. Someone pops in your head take the 15 seconds to send them a, an email or a text message or what have you. It's weird. We always think, oh, what do I say when I'm reaching back out to a, a weaker dormant tie? But every time I've ever received a message that said, hey, I don't know how you're doing, but I was thinking about you today and this memory, um, because it popped into my head, I hope all is well, love to connect sometime soon. Like We like to receive those messages. We like to know that other people are thinking about us. Better than congrats on your anniversary. On your work anniversary, right. So if you can get into those two habits, honestly, the software becomes not that valuable because for most of us, we've got a, a community of contacts that just getting in those habits will make sure you're checking in with them frequently enough. If you need to outsource it to things like that, they're there and they're great, but habits kind of work better than those systems. Yeah, but you you want to find something where I, I find that having something in front of you or seeing it causes action. I, Vern Harnish, I think was the one I first heard years ago talk about how when he was building EO and, and the importance of having a relationship dashboard. Like what were the 30 most important relationships to the success of his business that was going to be? And he he looked at those every morning and it brought him new ideas or opportunities to reach out. And that's something that I have incorporated in a part of what I do. And I've, I've found it to be really powerful because it just, oh, David, I haven't thought about David in a while. I mean, I should call David. You, you need some sort of trigger, right? Yeah, no, I, I think absolutely. I think what's interesting is that all of us are kind of so connected to a lot of these tools now that it can be the trigger. You're, you're exactly right. And especially, and I hate to do this because I just talked about not bucketing people into work and personal, but especially in like a client side or a partnership side, those work relationships, you know, like Vern is kind of getting at, those people that are beneficial to you building your career or your your business, 
you may need something to keep them in mind because you're probably not seeing pictures of their kids on Facebook. It's not that personal relationship yet. So you probably do need that kind of system. But if you're a crazy person like me and you blur those relationships and you just want to be Facebook friends with everyone you know in real life and, and what have you, it kind of gets easier to do it as a habit instead of building those systems. But I mean, I, I know Zvi and the whole team at Contactually. I love their product. Levitate's also great. So whichever one can be your dashboard, if that's what you need in your life, do it. And as you're doing it, I would also encourage you to build habits so that you don't, eventually you don't even have to look at the dashboard. You're just doing it instinctively. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know that genre of product, it's sort of like a personal CRM system, like a Salesforce would be for business. It's for managing your personal contacts and these systems would let you know if you'd emailed someone, it helps you using to-dos in green, yellow, red to who you've been in touch with and, and who you haven't. Yeah. And, and, and why they, I think they work even better than something like a spreadsheet because they track your actual, like you can plug in your email software and your social media and they can track what you're actually doing instead of where if you're just thinking like, oh, well, Excel will work fine. Keeping track and taking the time to type in every single record of every single communication that just gets cumbersome. No, absolutely. So you actually wrote an interesting article in Harvard Business Review titled Making Time for Networking as a Working Parent, which is a, a topic we talk about a lot at our company. So as a working parent myself, I, I relate to this about how networking often seems to happen during the after hours, activity, after work, drinks, weekend offsites, conferences, all of which it can take away from family. I mean, I, I could go to three times at conferences and I could stay up all night. And I know I meet more people, but then I, I'll be a disaster the next day. So one of the tips that you offer for people in this world, I think, is to press pause on making new contacts. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, this ties kind of to that idea of weak and dormant ties, right? And, and I should say I'm making an assumption here that when I say a working parent, that also means that you're like, you've been working for a while and you've been a parent for a while, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, they're, I'm making the assumption that if you are a parent and a working parent, you've got a couple years of career in your belt. And so you've probably already got a lot of connections that you're neglecting. I neglected pretty much everyone when my kids were less than a year old. Yeah. Other than maybe in-laws who came to watch them every once in a while. I really didn't. Uh, that was it. So a lot of us, again, if we're thinking about networking as I have to be running up the scoreboard, I have to be meeting new people, I have to be go hitting that that cocktail hour at the conference and staying out late by the fire pit, et cetera, because I have to to meet all of these new people. That's what we're saying press pause to. Just give yourself permission to like, okay, we already know that weak and dormant ties are, are going to be as powerful, if not more powerful than these new connections. So maybe uh, if I press pause on doing all of that, and instead, as I'm going up to my room at that conference to go to bed at a decent hour, if I send a couple messages before I go to bed, that's probably going to be as effective for you as making all of those new connections and the one or two that you can help or that they can help you. So it's about giving yourself permission to like, I don't need to be running up the score right now. What I need to be doing is keeping in touch with all of the contacts that I've already built in my career. Because when I, when I have additional time to start meeting people, it's probably going to be through referrals and introductions from these people anyway. But more importantly, just like strangers, these people are elsewhere in the network with new information, um, new ideas, new potential lead sources. So they're just as valuable as those strangers would be. So you know, why, why bother spending the extra time when I can just as easily rekindle those existing relationships and I don't have to be at the hotel bar until nine o'clock at night to do that? Yeah. And this goes to the sort of age old sales and marketing fight, right? There's no point in continuing to fill up a bucket from the top that's leaking on the bottom, right? So what if you do stay up to that bar in 3am and you have 12 new cards and you have no time to remember to write uh, anything to them that would make you remember them. It, it, it's not likely that 
those contacts are going to prove valuable to you in any way. Right, exactly right. And especially, I mean, it all, you can almost see it in the in the data. They are not going to be more valuable than some of those weak and dormant ties that you've been neglecting. So spend your time reaching back out to them. And, and those are people that it doesn't take as much time to reconnect with. A simple 30-second email that you can fire off will spark a conversation a couple of days later that's a much better use of your time. Is there some science around you know, when you're building your, growing your network? Like, what are the best practices around a first impression or activating sort of someone who's new to your network? So uh, where I would say there's there's science around this is we probably heard the uh, the old analogies of six degrees of Kevin Bacon or six degrees yeah. of separation, <laughs> right? And those sort of things. And that idea that, okay, 7.4 billion people in the world and we're all connected by six introductions. First of all, it's, it actually is kind of true. Um, the weird thing is if you have a Facebook account, it's actually 4.2 introductions. Um, I don't know how you have 0.2 of a person, but hey, whatever. It's averages. Well, most people want two and a half kids. So that's sort of the same. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that's that's perfect. Um, What's interesting to me, I'm more interested in one and two degrees. If you think about just statistically, the sheer number of people, if the whole world is connected by six, the sheer number of people who are one and two. And so I recommend to a lot of people, you need to be meeting far more people through introductions, referrals, connections than you're meeting through strangers. Not only is it a warmer connection, but the numbers are there to where there's not really a reason. Like if, if you, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and out and say it, if you feel uncomfortable at those kind of mixers and cocktail parties and whatever, and you don't like working the room, you don't ever have to. And even if you do love doing that, you should still probably be seeking to make connections to people through others uh, because it's going to be a, a deeper connection faster. You're going to build rapport faster, but also the numbers are there to support the idea that working that is a far better approach. So even when you start out, I encourage a lot of people to be regularly asking the question, who do you know in blank with blank being the city or the industry or the company that you want to get to know more people in? And when those people start giving you lists of names and you start hearing the same few names, that's a really good indicator that that is a person you should meet, but also it's a really good indicator that, wow, there is a wealth of new connections to be made just one degree of separation away from me. That's really great advice. So I'm curious as a last question, what is a networking mistake that you've made that you've learned the most from? Oh man. Um, so not doing the double opt-in introduction and I'll give you what that is in a second. But I, uh, when I was young and dumb Early in my career as a, as a writer, especially, I was really eager to kind of get networked into the community of other writers and, and literary agents and publishers in this business book world. And so I, I met, I have a good friend of mine who wrote a book. I, I, won't, I won't call him out because it would only, it would actually just make me guilty. He's perfectly innocent, but he had written a book I really loved. I'm talking to this other person who really wants to meet him. And I'm thinking like, oh, perfect. I'll just introduce you. And I pull out my phone and I connect the two of them. And, you know, he sent a very nice reply back to this person, but then he sent a singular reply back to me and basically said, dude, not cool please don't give out my personal contact information without checking me first, right? And it was a couple weeks after that that I stumbled across a couple different articles about what people are referring to as the double opt-in introduction. Double opt-in just like in sort of email marketing where you want to make extra sure that this person wants to be a part of your, your newsletter or what have you. The idea is that when, that when that moment occurred and person A really wanted to meet person B, my, my fellow writer friend, what I should have done is said, okay, well, let me go check with B and I'll get back to you with a connection if it's beneficial. And then go to B and say, hey, here's what happened and here's who wants to meet you and here's why I think you should meet them. Okay to introduce. And when both parties have been given the chance to opt in, then and only them am I sharing information with each other. Every single 
introduction you make is also a recommendation and it can be really, really devastating if we're just throwing that out willy-nilly and connecting people and, and giving out people's personal information, et cetera, without taking the time to make sure that everybody is cool with each other and that you're recommending that person is good. You might, you might stumble across, as has happened to me as I started to practice the double op introduction, you might offer an introduction and then find out like, oh, actually, I know that person. And we had this really weird moment two years ago and I had just no thank you. Right. And now you've spared everybody uh, some face and it works off just far better when it works and far better when it doesn't work to be practicing double opt in. And unfortunately, I learned it the hard way. Yeah, I, I, I cannot agree more with that. And also, if I don't get the actual double opt-in, I always tell people I have sort of a double opt-in value perspective because people reach out to me all the time. They're like, I want to talk to Dave because I think my company has a service that we can offer. I'm like, Dave does not want me to, <laughs> to send a sales guy after you, you know, in terms of a connection. So I, 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 I agree. I either get the double opt-in or I, I, I make the interest where I feel like they both have reciprocal value and someone is not going to be uh, annoyed with me for the introduction. No, exactly right. And, and one other thing I, I forgot to add there that I've learned from experience over time to do too, is when you finally do make that connection, don't just drop it like, thanks all, great to connect you to, but actually instruct either person A or person B what to do in the follow-up, right? That way, both people aren't just sitting there with an email or a text message on their phone <laughs> wondering like, okay, well, what do I do now? Actually say like, hey, Bob, would you follow up with times that would work well for you to talk to so-and-so just so that you keep the ball moving and people are clear on what the action is. I've learned that's really helpful too. Well, I'll just add one more to that, which is etiquette. When, when you do that- <laughs> We'll just keep leveling up. Let's do this. <laughs> right. The BCC, because this is what drives me crazy, right? I, when you when you do end up responding to that, you know, thanks, David, BCC. You know, I have been on people's lunch plans for like two weeks as they go back and forth. And one guy, I had to be like, <laughs> please, guys, like, I don't care whether you go for pizza or sushi, but like, you, <laughs> I needed to be off the string like 10 emails ago. So- you know what you totally should have done is you should have showed up like at the sushi place and been like, hey, I just assumed I was invited too because you kept emailing me. Right. So my other two, I'd say BCC the person and never call a complaint to the, to the person who made the referral that the other person hasn't followed up with you because that that's also doesn't make them feel good about doing that work. Right. No, totally. But hopefully like when you gave the introduction, you said, okay, here, you know, so-and-so, please take this action. Right. Hopefully you, you cut the, but you know, you're exactly right. Like, yeah, I got crickets afterwards. That's always awkward. Yeah. Very awkward. So, uh, it's something you want to just say, you know, say thank you and, and move on. Well, uh, speaking of saying thank you, David, thanks for joining us on, on outperform today. Really enjoyed talking with you and appreciate your research and perspectives on building strong networks by cultivating more meaningful relationships. It's really valuable insights that you've put together. And I encourage everyone to get a copy of the book, which we'll uh, include in the show notes. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. This was great. And uh, I need to change some of the ways that I give introductions now. Thanks. So I learned, I learned some stuff too. This is awesome. Thank you. All right. To our listeners, thanks for listening to another Outperform podcast episode in the vein of humanizing and building quality relationships. Can I please ask you to take a minute to rate or review our Outperform podcast on iTunes? And you'll find the link to our iTunes page on the landing page for this episode, along with links to David's website, book page, podcast, and any other resources that we talked about on this episode. So until next time, keep outperforming. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, 
and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.